Hello, and welcome to the University Daily Kansans, or the UDK, as the locals call it, Arts and Cultures podcast, Reading Between the Lines. I am your host and the Arts and Culture Editor for the UDK, Nicole Dolan, and the ever-so-kind Wyatt Hall will be co-hosting with me this evening. Hello, Wyatt. What's up? And to give you all just a little bit about what we do here, Reading Between the Lines is all about the people behind the award-winning content you see at the University Daily Kansan. Every week, we'll bring on our talented colleagues to discuss several topics depending on what is going on in the world, what's up, what they're interested in. And so to kick it off, we'll introduce our guests. Hello, Rachel. What's going on? <laughs> Not much. Um, I'm Rachel Swanson. I write about music for the Kansan. I've officially stolen the uh, new Music Monday column. Ooh, thief. It's all right. right. It's in good hands. It's in good hands. Thank you. Gavin, who are you? Um, so I'm Gavin Wade. I'm the business manager at the University of Kansan. So I oversee advertising and business operations. Thank you both for joining us. Uh, just to kick off what we usually do with the little light segments that we've got, Wyatt's going to lead what these people are listening to and what they're watching. So Wyatt, there you go. Yeah, thank you, Nicole. We are so every week on this podcast, we bring in uh, we bring in both of our guests, or sometimes three uh, of our guests. We bring them in, and we. You know, start them out with some light stuff. We're not going to hit them with anything too hard hitting, uh, but we're going to start out with, you know, what are you guys watching this week? What are, what are we watching? That could be movies, TV shows, anything under that, you know, cloud. Uh, we'll start with Rachel. Um, I just finished Mad Men Ooh, for the first yeah, time. I, I know that. you guys were talking about it last week and like the mad dash to finish it before it leaves Netflix. This handsome fellow is Don Draper, the best creative director in New York. Bringing in business is the key to your salary, your status, and your self-worth. You're looking at the finest ad men in New York. What you call love was invented by guys like me to sell nylon. I might be a record holder because I started it like two months ago. And finish it. Impressive. Yeah, we're in living in a great time for binge watching. Um, but I've just been stuck in that universe mentally. So I've just been watching like YouTube videos of like like breaking down the fashion of Mad Men and stuff like that because I'm nice. lost and I don't know where to go now that this world is gone. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Sophia said last week that it was extremely dense. Would you agree with that, going through and binging it? Um, I'd say, like, since it's kind of character-driven, I probably disagree. Because a lot of people say it's, like, super slow, and I don't totally get that. But I don't know. There's not a lot of, like, mm. crazy plot stuff happening most of the time. There are a lot of characters, though. I would argue that a little bit. I feel like Don is really chaotic at certain points. I love points. him. He is very handsome, <laughs> but very problematic as well. Um, Literally the worst thing about me is that I love Don Draper. <laughs> <laughs> um, did he cheat on his wives with like probably over a dozen women? Yes, but like the poor man, you know? 
Yeah, that's true. He literally grew up in a whorehouse. So rest in peace, Don Draper. I I still haven't watched the show yet, but when I get there, I know I'm going to have like an unhealthy like for this guy just because I love John Hamm. Oh, that's yeah. I mean, seriously. I just the actor behind him. I'm gonna have a weird thing just because I'm gonna see him as John Hamm, not Don Draper. Don Draper. There we <laughs> go. There we go. Gavin, what have you been watching? Um, I made myself watch Space Force. I hate my. And I hate the show too. That was the worst piece of oh. so I, I, I don't know. It was just like, wow, this was bad. The thing that I do want to plug is this Graham uh, TV thing that I found this week. It's mm-hmm. a so it is a fashion designer out of the Democratic Republic of the Congo oh. who has made a collection of their work, but it was all done with 3D rendering. I, I, I'm sorry to be showing you this on a podcast, but it's the most beautiful, like, render clothing. It's so good. It's so good. Um, and where can people find this? It is on the Instagram, Hanifa Official. Uh, let, me, let me see. H-A-N-I-F-A Official. Mm. Super good. And the clothes are nice, too. I'm like, wow, these are cute. These are great. But the best piece of, like, computer-generated effects and, like, clothing simulation I have seen in a long time. And can you go and buy these clothes, or is it just, you you know, what you're seeing? They're real clothes. Um, But it does make you think of, like, wow, what's the future of, like, digital fashion going to be? You know, like, when everyone is just in VR and a beautiful dress is a thousand virtual dollars, we used to buy it. So. Yeah, yeah. Nicole, what have you been watching? Um, well, first I just wanted to say that like the future of fashion and the future, future of like New York fashion week, Paris fashion week, Milan fashion week, like is literally, you could, can you imagine like people are still physically there, but they're just like watching that like invisible screen that like Parks and Rec had on like that (laughs) finale episode. And they're just like watching the designs and there's like, I can imagine it being like fake people. Like, you know, that like fake rapper girl i forgot her name i'll think oh, about Michaela. it yes um <laughs> it's gonna be like that and yeah. you're gonna be like what and they're just it's gonna be it's gonna be crazy i, I think I, we're as, gonna call it we're gonna call it as as we get holographic technology at another level it's gonna be insane everything it applies to especially stuff like fashion yes we're living um, in convergence we mm-hmm. are living in the convergence um but what am I watching? I just watched the Travis Scott documentary on mm-hmm. Netflix. Look, Ma, I can fly. Travis Scott, the greatest live performer on this planet. He can vibe with every single person that's in the club. Take care of him, right? He was the first person to let me know that I wasn't alone. He saved my life. And, okay, uh, I know that a whole bunch of frat men love sicko mode, and um, I, I get it. I get it now. Uh, I get the hype. He is one hell of a performer, um, and I was surprised that he, like, genuinely 
was like very passionate about constructing like each song and just like the stage and just like everything it was I don't know I don't know what I expected but it showed a lot about like the man behind the hype I guess Mm -hmm. and it didn't seem like pretentious it seemed like genuine you know because he's working with freaking Tame Impala and Earth, Wind and Fire yeah and James Blake on that album Astro oh, World has wow. those people on that album. And so oh, everyone's like, Drake's on there, but it's like he has a lot of like contributors and um I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. Not gonna lie, I uh definitely have never listened to his stuff because I like wrote it off because of frat boys. So mm. I'll check it out. <laughs> Do not let these men with their fish ruin your music. <laughs> <laughs> Do not. I'll try not to. No, I'll check that out. Please do. So we'll finish off with I have been watching, uh, if you guys have been seeing on your Netflix recommendations, Midnight Gospel. Which universe will you choose today? My name's Clancy. Clancy! Could I um, interview you for my space cast? Are you worried because it seems like we're all about to die? Is that a yes? What does death look like to you? I think we need to simplify this. It is a, it is a new. Sh- I have not finished it yet. I will say, uh, but it is a show based off of a real life podcast. And what they Whoa. did is they kind of took the podcast and for the audio from it and sort of incorporated visuals and things uh, alongside it. So you've got like these cool visuals and like some sort of story going on, but the meat of the show is the this podcast, a conversational podcast talking about things like death, talking about what do I think meditation, talking wow. about you know drugs, like all kinds. It, it just drugs. it's super deep. Yeah, it was specifically hallucinogenic drugs and talking about the how they can tend to be, you know, a religious experience, as many people say. Um, but yeah, it, it goes into all these topics and has these really serious conversations while giving you an engaging visual. And it was just, it's, I mean, it's a lot to take in, but it's been really good. If I'm not mistaken, the animator from adventure time is like an executive producer on it so it's the what? animation style is heavily influenced by that, I love that. so you will see parts you're like oh that seems kind of like adventure time or like any any of that if you've watched those shows uh I from you know, your childhood but yeah it's i i recommend it. it's been pretty good yeah, that show made me okay with death. Like, fully resolved <laughs> my issues. Serious. Like, it's no crazy. Thing. Just listen to this clip from the show that I found that is features the main person, Clancy, talking to his mom shortly before she passes from stage four cancer. And it's. It's strangely comforting, but it's just absolutely heartbreaking. And it's a great example of what you'll find with this show. The possibility that there is some kind of force that um, will take us out when it's time to go out is nothing that I can do anything about. So I may as well make peace with it. It's easier to go with the flow of that particular river 
than it is to try to fight it. That there is that possibility. We're all going to die. I know. And that, that, and this is that saying, and I don't know where it comes from, but that meditation is preparation for death. I think that's true. And meditation is one spiritual practice that prepares us for death. But also, you know, you just, if you look at the world, what you see is things appearing and disappearing. And humans are a part of the whole of that. And humans appear and they disappear mm. off the face of the earth. That just happens. You know, our egos personalize it and, and we consider ourselves special cases. Yes. But we're really not, you know. We're, we're, we are, are part of the whole and everything in the whole transforms all the time. Changes form, transfigures. You're a special case. <laughs> it's because I'm your mama. <laughs> no. No, this, I know this transfigure. I know, I know, I know, but come on. There's no way to stop the heartbreak. How do you, what do you do about that? You cry. You cry. All right, I'm going to binge watch that tonight and work through every problem I've ever had. I, okay, I will say this is not a show. I It may be different for other people, but I personally do not think that this is a show that you should binge. It's something that you watch one at a time and you kind of like process and take in what they said. Because if you go through all of them really quickly, there's probably stuff that you're going to miss or forget because you're still thinking about the other things that they talk about. So yeah, take your time with it for sure. Gotcha. Are we okay? <laughs> it's, 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 I just, it's, are we okay? to what? <laughs> Gavin just said he's okay with death. Are we all well, right? No, but like putting yourself in the bigger context of like the the bigger rolling ball of life, which is this mm. like, mm. yeah, come from dust, we'll go back to dust. I just keep thinking about the tweet of Zoomers being uncomfortable to ask for ranch at first watch, but um, not afraid to like curse out a cop, and that just like uh, the duality of life. Yeah, truly. I think I think in this case it's less about being. It's less about being like, yeah, I'm okay to die, and more of just like I'm not. It, it gives you stuff to think about to not fear death. You know what I mean? And not in like a bad mm. sense, but just in like. Like, it's going to happen. It's something that we shouldn't be uncomfortable talking about because, I mean, let's face it, it is. When we talk about death, we all get very kind of like, ugh, it's a weird <laughs> topic to talk about. But, like, there, it's a very natural thing that happens, and it's something that is, you know, worth conversating about. Maybe not here. We should move on. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, yeah. Just watch Midnight Gospel. It, it really opens your eye uh, on a lot of different things. So after that, we will then move on to what are we listening to this week, which is uh, mostly about music and um, music and podcasts in particular. But I guess if you're listening to other things, you can mention that too. Uh, Rachel, we'll go back to you. What are you listening to this week? Um, okay, so I've been like reading and writing a lot for my online class, and I can't have lyrics while I do that. And I was getting really sick of jazz. Mm. Um, so I found oh a loophole heart. where if I listen to music in a different language, my <gasps> brain does fine. <laughs> oh. So I've been listening to a lot of like 60s French pop stuff. Love that. Of course. Like I found this weird 
subculture, whatever, like um, of just like Francois Hardy and like Brigitte Bardot and stuff like that. Oh. Um, and they're called Yeah Yeah Girls, which is like, or no, Yeah Yeah Girls is what they're called because Ooh. they stole that yeah sound from like American rock and roll in the 60s because they said yeah so much. I don't know yeah. if I'm making any no, sense yeah, at yeah. all. <laughs> so uh, that's what I've been listening to. Interesting. In the background. Couldn't name a single song because I don't know French. <laughs> That matches very well with Mad Men and all the French. Oh yeah, Zoo Zoo Zoo. Yeah, we've got a theme course. going. <laughs> but yeah, that's all I got. Gavin, what you been listening to? Um, I've been listening to well, music-wise. I've been listening to Chromatica, the new album by Lady oh, Gaga. Oh yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> finally gave the they needed um so that's been really like just a, per, a really personal deep like fulfillment in my heart but mm. podcast wise i feel like just like during this whole movement like during during the current point in life that we are and time that we are in this country um i realized that i don't have like a lot of black voices in my media streams so i added some people and like found some podcasts that were really good for that um so the first one that i'm going to recommend is um the united states united states of anxiety um out of wnyc studios Mm -hmm. really really great during this um yeah awesome fitting (laughs) yeah nicole what are you listening to I'm so sorry. I was holding in a burp and I did not know when it was going to come. So um, if it does come, hello, welcome to Reading Between the Lines. Um, Okay, so to match my what I'm watching, I've been listening to Travis. (laughs) And um, I think my two favorite songs, um, one from each album of Jack Boys and Astro World. Um, frat boys come for me. Um, I think no bystanders from Astro World is underrated. I think that it hits. You know, it mm-hmm. does. It does hit. Okay. <laughs> and then, what to do features Don Tolliver on Jack Boys, and that also hits. Bicentennial man, put the city on slam. She get trippy off Zans, lost 21 grams, and she did it on cam. When no video dance, make my own rules. I really don't pick, I just choose. You feel it, and you want to riot. And so, um, actually, in the documentary, he gets arrested in northern Arkansas for starting a riot. Um, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, there was, uh, <laughs> it was his concert, also. We'll leave it at that. Okay. That's fun. <laughs> so that is fun. Wyatt, what are you 
listening to? I have been listening to, um, not necessarily new, but I've been listening to a lot of Thundercats' recent album. That came out a couple months ago. Stay with me. Not a, not a like huge artist in particular, but um, his mu- his music and his producing has affected a lot of people. Um, he's been in uh, involved in projects. Little do people know, involved in projects like you know "To Pimp a Butterfly" from Kendrick Lamar. That's, I didn't that's, know that. Yeah, like an album that is known as one of the best of the last decade. he's been involved in stuff like that but he just got his own funky little music and it's it's just vibe music is for me is what it is um he does yeah so thundercat i've also been listening to a lot of the press box which is a podcast from the uh ringer podcast network if you guys have heard of the ringer it's a publication that does a lot of um pop culture sports politics uh, that kind of thing it's mostly opinion based with some reporting, it's mostly opinion based. <laughs> but they've got a podcast called The Press Box that kind of goes into the media, the world of the media, and then news going on. And they've just had multiple episodes in the last week or two about the protests going on. They've been bringing on people to talk about, like Jamel Hill came in to talk about uh, her thoughts and everything. And it's just, they're really good about bringing in a lot of different voices and opening a lot of different angles on stories. And it's just been really informative. It's been an informative listen. That's cool. So, all right. So now to our, it seems like our fan favorite segment already, <laughs> uh, hot takes. Uh, we're going to start doing a system from this week out where whoever, uh, whether Nicole or I is leading the segment, we're going to hold off and let the guests have the time to shine. Uh, we'll start off with Rachel. What is your hot take? Uh, my hot take is that there is no need for anyone in public to play Bohemian Rhapsody ever again. <laughs> Whoa. It's like... I'm, I'm sick of it we've all heard it i'm tired of like like i was just reminiscing on like like do you guys remember bars remember that yes like going out um i was just like reminiscing <laughs> on that and like how much i miss like getting annoyed at songs like that coming on what <laughs> what <laughs> like, about like, the human rhapsody yeah okay like you're out you're having fun um whatever and like Bohemian Rhapsody starts and you have to like watch people freak out because they're so excited about it for like 12 minutes. Oh my goodness. And I've heard I, it too many times. I have a counter I think we all have. I have a counter argument. Um, let's, let's hear it. That's how I feel when um, 
Sweet Caroline comes on. No, let's come add that to the list. Ban them both. Come let's go. What all? Okay, Rachel. What all songs? I mean, this this isn't just a Bohemian Rhapsody specific thing. <laughs> what all song? I mean, Sweet Caroline. Does "Don't Stop Believing" apply to this list? Absolutely. No. Yeah. What? <laughs> like, I want to know, okay. like, what song? What is the criteria here? I want to take a look at um, Sandbar's playlist that they never change, and just every <laughs> song on there, we're scrapping it. Wow. And is this only like oldie classics or is this new stuff too that just gets overplayed? Um, I feel like new stuff is not as bad because like once it's like five years old or something, they quit overplaying it as much, mm. I think. But like like no one's playing like Gangnam style in the club anymore, you know? Like, I wish like they were. It goes away, like the newer stuff. But the old stuff, like... No one has been brave enough to stand up and say uh, Bohemian Rhapsody needs to be banned um, in public spaces. So that's my take. Wow, that's steaming. I, wow, I, that was not at all what I was expecting when you came <laughs> in saying you had a good one. But I, yeah, I am shocked. I did not ever think I'd hear someone say ban Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, and stop putting it at the top of like greatest songs of all time lists also. Really? I, I do agree that there are better Queen songs than like, Bohemian Rhapsody. Like I've heard but it. It was I, monumental. But like I've heard it like 10,000 times and I don't even know what it's about. <laughs> Did you watch the movie? No. <laughs> you should. It's good. I'm literally going on a tirade about how I want this song banned and you're like, "Did you see the movie though?" <laughs> do you do you like Queen outside? of Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan, but they definitely have some, there it some is. bops. <laughs> no, they do have some True bops. True like, show. Like, I respect it. I respect them. Just not that one. The rest are fine. So, no pressure to Gavin on following that. What's your hot take, Gavin? My hot take is if you're if you're on the internet and if you're on Facebook and if you are an adult that is posting comments on Facebook, you should be suspended. That's really it. The what is the age just, range? Between like, I don't know, like 25 to, until you retire, until you're out of the workforce. 25, Gavin? Yeah, totally. totally what? Totally. Yeah, so basically so. millennials get off. Well, no, I'm saying if you're being racist on social media, uh, you should be Okay. See, I think you cut yeah. out. Yeah, it sounded uh, like you well, just you. It sounded like you said, if you make a comment on Facebook over the age of twenty-five, you should be suspended. Yeah, that's what it like, sounded like. But no, no. <laughs> racist comments specifically. Okay, I don't know if that's a hot take, though, Gavin. Yeah, I know it's not a hot. This <laughs> is my personal internal take right now. Mm. Just like seeing like people like post like doxing people on Twitter and being like all of these like people that are working internally for like this police department or that police department have said X Y and Z about we should do oh, X Y yes. and Z to X Y and Z and like these people get out of here. Um, that's my hot take. We'll I we'll talk it. more about Facebook later in the episode, <laughs> but I've just gotten to the point where I just leave it alone. It's not not something I want to be on. I want to be involved with anybody. It's just, I'm I'm good. I'm good. See, but I'm getting on Facebook because for some reason, like, I I just love watching the drama. 
Oh like, my I, I need that in my life. <laughs> I got a friend who goes on and specifically comments on Trump posts to oh, start no, I a stay out of it. too much. Like, too much. Those people are a lost cause. You cannot engage. You just yeah. got to sit back no. and watch. Um, I do appreciate the TikToks of people using the green screen option where uh, the Facebook comment or post is like behind them and they're like reading and reacting to it. Um, I think it's very fun when adults use the wrong, like, I don't know, Facebook uh, theme for when they're saying. So they'll use like the crying, like laughing emoji to be like, um, <laughs> my best friend just died. Rest in I've peace. Seen these. Yes. But it's like the laughing emoji. And it's just, um, Christina, that is not, that's not the right template, hun. Um, yeah. It's tragic, really. <laughs> it's um, bad. And also, I don't like that. No, I. Okay. It makes me feel interesting when I see people from my high school getting engaged. Um, and I'm like, oh, so you're not having an existential crisis? You're getting married. And then also, I see. Um, people that I went to middle school with getting pregnant with their second child. And I'm like, I'm just trying to sift through the cans on my feed. Abolish abstinence only sex ed in Kansas. I'm tired of seeing people's babies on Facebook. <laughs> That's true. Oh, God. So, Nicole, you got a hot take going off of that? <laughs> <laughs> off of Karen's on Facebook? Um, I think. I think my hot take is it's not as spicy as last week, but it is still true. Um, Sugar Land is bad, and you can't convince me otherwise. Um, I <laughs> hate Sugar Land, and I will take that to the grave. There, I respect occasional country artists, specifically Dolly Parton. Mm-hmm. Yeah respect also lady antebellum respect but sugarland you're bad get out stay off of the radio and stay out of my life i hate you um but if i were to work for a country magazine and have to interview you i will pretend that i don't feel this way to get the bag but sugarland is bad <laughs> that's the take what what makes you feel so strongly about Sugarland over any other country artist? Why I'm just gonna have you play them, okay. um, and then and then put them into the podcast and then listen. It's the um, are they the um, they sound like cats stuck, dying. stuck like glue song? Um, Something let like me that. just play you a tidbit. Why do you have to be that measly? Hold it together. Hold it together. I can't talk on Sugarland in a way that's meaningful at all because it's the exact same thing I would say about any other like modern country music. I think. Pretty much for me. Yeah. Here's here's the thing. Dolly Parton is beautiful and good. I and agree with that. Dolly Parton, Johnny Cash, like those are the two that are like they're good. They get a pass. Yeah. And Lady Antebellum, love you. 
<laughs> What's their big hit? Let me what? tell you. I, she's gonna. She's got you. She's got you covered. Let me tell you. Um, <laughs> the only argument that I have for the like baby affinity that I have for country music is because I grew up in Kansas, and that's mm. really the only excuse. And um, I've talked about this with my cousins, and also women of color, and we're like, we do not know why we like country music. Oh yeah, we grew up um, in Johnson County, and that is why. Um, so shout mm. out to all of you in Kansas for doing this and giving me this burden of your caucasity. Anyway, um, there's <laughs> Need You Now. So leading into our main topic of this episode, which is social media, um, which is a very big topic, but we chose it for this week because so much has been happening on social media, whether it has been raising awareness for Black Lives Matter or a whole bunch of people on TikTok saying defund the police and informative videos and things like that that has been all over socials and seems like has been taking social media by storm. And so I would just like to open it up to Rachel and Gavin on what your relationship with social media is like and how has it changed since you got it in like 2013? Honestly, probably just like like textbook unhealthy Twitter relationship. <laughs> no, not actually. Like I, I can't really relate to like, that much to people that are like Instagram is so toxic like they're just showing you a certain part of their lives or whatever because like that's true but like don't follow those people I don't know but um yeah no but I mostly just stay on Twitter and I think it's been maybe the most useful platform for like spreading information especially like in regards to how these protests are actually going down because the original narrative or the one that like you know cops are giving statements about is that there's like all these agitators that are um causing them to you know accidentally shoot rubber bullets at peaceful protesters and i don't know having a platform right. where people can easily spread videos um basically proving right. that cops are basically just exist to punish peaceful protesters right now um definitely important Right. And what do you have to say about all the memes that people have been making of like the police colon angry emojis? Someone threw this four ounce water bottle at me. Yeah. Um, I am obsessed with the Kansas City Police Department tweet where they're like, here's some stuff that was thrown at protesters frowny face. And the picture is like <laughs> one shoe. <laughs> A water bottle. <laughs> a broken umbrella and a can of beans. <laughs> like, you had riot gear on, and someone threw a shoe at you. Like, right. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know how that justifies, like, aiming for people's heads with rubber bullets. 
Twitter is just such a weird place because it's it's got this weird dynamic with other apps. For one, it feels like a lot of the original content comes on Twitter first. You will see pictures of tweets on Facebook. You will see pictures of tweets on Instagram. You'll see people using tweets as their green screen on TikTok. It, right. It's just this weird epicenter of both information and just complete ridiculous memory. And I love it. I just, I can't get enough of it. (laughs) I love it too. I don't know why it makes a tweet so much funnier when it's like reused um, on different platforms. I don't know why. Like someone took the time to take a screenshot of it and then post it. Like what? That's so extra. I don't, I just can't do it. Do you guys ever judge people based on their uh, preferred social media app? I, I feel like it, it I think we all tells do. a lot. Yeah, it tells yeah. a lot about a person. Like, the reason all the um, Instagram posts that are just screenshots of tweets are appearing is because Instagram is for the beautiful and Twitter is for the funny. <laughs> That's my take. Just like, I don't trust people that are only on Instagram. I, Something's going on there and I don't like it. I <gasps> do not think that I follow any joke accounts meme things on instagram it's just like yeah it's like why would i do that when i can like go on twitter and see the actual content instead of screenshots yeah you're seeing it there first rather than seeing screenshots no my instagram is completely devoted i don't even follow really celebrities on instagram it's kind of just devoted to like the people in my life and then posting cute pictures of themselves i'm like oh i'm glad they're doing okay during all this going on but I think Instagram is devoted to my personal life and Twitter is devoted to simultaneously professional and jokes. I really should make two separate accounts, one for my memes and one for my professional stuff, but I just don't just don't want to put in the effort. I'm trying to do that with my Twitter just because it's so like wildly unprofessional and I really hate it. But like I feel like employers more and more are asking for social media handles Oh, of course. Which is absolutely insane to me if I'm not trying to get a job in like social media marketing or anything like that. Gavin, you're you're on the business side of things. What do you? How do you feel about that? What just about? I mean, businesses. Just businesses incorporating social media now into literally everything. Yeah, applying all of that. It's totally. One of those things where like, yeah, Twitter is a shared media and oh my God, can we get engagement and traffic out of it? That's that thing. Like Wendy's, y'all know the love Wendy's. We love Wendy's. Like it is, it is one of those things where you have to have an agile enough media team to know what to do, when to do it and in what context to do it. And you also have to have a cool enough like bored basically to be like okay with you doing that and especially now we're like i guess kind of like into the meat of what we're talking about today is people like big companies using social media as the as the means of communication to like their stances currently right now about like black lives matter and police brutality um Mm -hmm. and i think that it's a decent it's a decent way to do that 
but if you it really it all comes down to what's like the brand personality i think if it is a brand that i am already aware of as kind of like a entity situation versus Mm -hmm. like that is just the name then it's way more like understandable than this one if that makes sense you know Mm -hmm. like you already have to have some personification of your brand i think until you know like for for those like messages to really work yeah and so when you i mean i think it uh, several companies got a lot of backlash like last year for pride um when like a lot of people were like ahaha like love is love but you know like twitter knew um the tea um behind these companies and their corporate you know ceos and their stances on it like i don't know what are your thoughts on that gavin I think it's, I think that to like, especially Twitter, like Twitter is like the prime example of this, but I love that social media has given people like equal access to communicate with these brands and call them out for stuff. We're like, yeah, during pride. And especially during this, like as soon as they will post it, they'll get dragged to death for it. And for days and weeks, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, I, and I guess that even goes into like the like, things that the police departments have been posting, like the KC police thing, people have been like making <laughs> jokes about that. You know, like we really can have like an immediate call out for what usually would have been like a pretty protected media situation. You know, like if you're going to put in 30 seconds spot out, that's a one way communication. That's not really no one can yell at you from behind the TV. (laughs) Other people see that. Mm -hmm. But I do think like the flip side of that is that people are like kind of easily satisfied by brands saying the right things and willing to be like, I support Amazon because they released this statement while Amazon is like doing (laughs) atrocious things to their employees and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Like it's all just like, I don't know. I'm not going to like give anywhere my, like I'm not going to go somewhere specifically because they released a statement because I don't know. Stuff like Amazon is just proof that like there's not always anything behind it. Um, you got to have standards. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I, I wish like people would redirect their energy that they're spending being like, you know, like tagging brands and being like, speak on Black Lives Matter, speak on Black Lives Matter. Like I wish they would maybe like not redirect it, but also just be like, why are your like production practices so unethical? Like, <laughs> why is your stuff made in sweatshops like stuff like that i don't know so we talked a little bit about how different corporations have been using their social media and things like that and so um i just wanted to open it up to both of you on your thoughts of how they've been doing that and have they been doing a good job a bad job are we going to drag them are we going to read them who's to say um, I think there's been a unprecedented level of just truly horrific, tone deaf, like woke brand posts. And I've I've kind of like compiled a list here. Um, I think we've all heard about Dolls Kill. Have you guys heard about that whole controversy? I have not actually. Okay, so like they're this brand that the only way I can think of to describe their style is kind of just like 
it's for people that shopped at Hot Topic, but now they're like 25, but they have to like maintain a certain edginess in order to like mm. assert their uniqueness. Um, it's kind of right. like that vibe, like like faux edgy. Oh. And they have like rave wear too, I think. I don't know. Posers. But anyway, <laughs> they had um, controversies such as selling a shirt that said goth is white on it, which I don't even... Oh don't even know what that is about and yeah they had another one that said dead girls can't say no on it which is (gasps) just like I guess we're advocating you know what's so hip and edgy necrophilia Yikes! (laughs) oh no and um I actually have a customer service email this email is in response to um them selling a Native American headdress for $45 on their website. And like, oh, no. this was a few years ago, but um, it, it, it's real bad. Okay. Um, it's, they call all their customer customers um, doll and BB, by the way. But um, uh, this is from a customer service rep named Anna. It says the last thing dolls, dolls kill would be slash represent is racist. We love and value individuality and originality. Our company was created to represent dolls of all flavors slash colors slash ideals slash etc. Flavors. The- yeah, Ugh. it's just wait. That's that's just the beginning. Um, <laughs> we're here for the misfits, miss legits, and everything in between. No. I'm sorry if that costume offended you, but all as racist in quotes is pretty ridiculous we're a brassy sassy stick it up your assy kind of company not for the easily offended norm culture so take a chill pill and get your panties out of a bunch because it ain't that serious cutie wink emoji xoxo anna that is a customer service person ouch xoxo dolls kill (laughs) yeah i'm in physical pain that is that was rough but most recently, the founder, whose name is Shadi Lin, um, she posted a picture on her personal Instagram that was a picture of the Dolls Kill store with a bunch of like cops and riot gear in front of it. Mm-hmm. And the caption was direct action in all its glory. And people oh. were like, did you call the cops? Like, what's going on? And I think that what part does that is... Mean? She claims she's an anarchist, which... I don't believe anyone that claims they're an anarchist. (laughs) Personally, I think they're all lying. Or no, they they all think they are. They just don't know what it is, I think. No offense to the real ones or whatever. Um, (laughs) But uh, after, like, lots of pressure and stuff, um, the founder did release a video apologizing, not for that email, but for um, her, like, Instagram post of the cops. (laughs) And... Mm -hmm. Um, it's truly something you have to see to believe. It's real bad. But one of my favorite quotes from it that kind of summarizes the whole thing is uh, she appears, she seems like she's on drugs. I don't know. But she's oh. sitting there like like she was forced to be there. And she <gasps> says, I am here today to apologize for the damage and the pain that my actions caused you, the Dolls Kill community. I did something that hurt people. I was not trying to do that. 
it's literally sounds like she's reading off cue cards. It's the wildest apology I've seen. Yikes. Um, but that's all I have for, for Dolls Kill, pretty much. Um, that's a hard one to follow up yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, I that's hear really you. That's really painful. I hear you, and I raise you Popeye's most recent tweet. Not most recent, mm. but... Um, which is Popeye's is nothing without Black Lives. Oh my god. Love it. We love to invoke stereotypes. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. One of the last ones I have <laughs> that's probably one of the worst is L'Oreal Paris. I don't know. Oh no. Um, I think that's just like their makeup and hair section or something like yeah. that. But um they had previously hired a model named um, Monroe Bergdorf. Monroe Bergdorf. Um, she's a model. She's black, and she was dropped from L'Oreal in 2017 because she was uh, condemning like white supremacy, and they were like, they said that was at odds with their values what Ooh. yeah Ouch. and um i don't have it in front of me but i know they did release something that was like we stand with black lives matter like this is important to us please buy our mascara something like that oh my goodness but yeah well <laughs> you know <laughs> that made me have physical pain that entire your whole spiel I'm hurting now. I'm tired. Um, I need a nap. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, (laughs) capitalism. And so I guess this kind of leads into this next question of how cancel culture has just become like a huge thing um, from our generation, specifically on Twitter and a little bit on TikTok too, um, especially when TikTok... um, banned shortly the Black Lives Matter hashtag and the George Floyd hashtag. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of creators, you know, came for TikTok. Um, And so how would the two of you, I guess, uh, describe cancel culture slash your thoughts on it? Well, okay. So I think that I think that cancel culture is like, it's a it's a complex thing that is not black and white. I feel like cancel culture is in a gray area of, of the internet right now where mm-hmm. like, yes, I think it's, it's one of those, like, I love that there is a platform where we can drag people to death for doing mm-hmm. wrong things. Like, especially like with JK Rowling right now being very transphobic on Twitter. Um, right. Like we can really just like be like, mm, actually she's wrong. <laughs> but I also got to thank the K-pop people over on Twitter for always taking over, which I love. I think that there is also like cancel culture also does minimize a conversation to you're wrong. I'm right. When oftentimes there should be a much longer and cohesive conversation about Mm -hmm. here is why that's here's why doing that here is here are like alternate ways to, you know, like it's, it, it puts what is usually pretty, pretty tough conversation into like the, just like the instant reaction framework of social media. Right. I, for me, I, I feel like cancel culture as a whole has highlighted how short of an attention span our generation has, because with a lot of these cancels, 
we're like, oh, we're never going to do this with this person ever again. And then they end up, you know, disappearing, being quiet for a little bit and then coming back better than ever. You've got like, for example, Louis C.K. We all heard about how awful he like, you know, doing all kinds of predatory things with women back when me too was blowing up and everyone's like oh this everyone thought this dude's career is over like there's no how does he come back from this and now he's doing stand-up tours again not even two years later yeah um, yeah people are complaining about cancel culture as if anyone has actually been completely canceled like and, yeah we've got like one like harvey weinstein Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's literally going to prison. <laughs> and um, he's got one. How many people had to be assaulted for that to happen? You know, hundreds. Like, yeah, and who's still like winning awards, like Woody Allen and Roman Polanski and stuff like that? Like, mm-hmm. cancel culture isn't like doing as much as people think it is. It's just like asking them to be accountable when they like say racist slurs sometimes, like, mm-hmm. and they act like it's gonna like ruin their lives. And on the flip side, it also creates creates a lot of just bogus outrage when I mean, you'll find people who said something that's like, you know, vaguely racist when they were like 11 years old and they didn't know any better. And then they bring it up, you know, 15 years after it happened when they've clearly developed and learned as a human being. And bring it up like, oh man, this person is awful. They they're racist for what they said. It's like they said this on Tumblr when they were eleven. Leave them alone. Well, yeah, I feel, I feel like that. that's that's relative to like the person though, because of course. if um they're like claiming that they've never said anything racist, you know, Twitter is going to dig immediately. So I think that it's on like public people to you know, say, I acknowledge it's all about like acknowledging like your privilege and your mistakes and then being willing to grow from it, I think. Um, and so that's why I think cancel culture, Twitter, TikTok, IG, everyone is like all about it because they're like, shoot, like admit it, you know, um, because um, for anyone in the Blue Valley district, our school district released a statement saying that we stand with you. Um, and not to drag my alma mater, but... Do uh, it, do it. <laughs> to drag her a little, I mean, there are probably a thousand now comments and that post was posted three days ago of many like marginalized groups of students, current students, alumni of it all um, saying no this is not right. This is not Mm -hmm. enough. Do something about it, you know? And so that's powerful. I think that there can be power in it, um, but it shouldn't be, I don't know, like the main priority for people trying to like uh, give to the cause, you know? I will clarify that the, obvious that the biggest part about this is response and the response to it is obviously essential if you've got people going out and being like i've never done anything wrong in my life <laughs> and then they bring up stuff like that obviously you should you know give them a hard time for it but when you bring up things that happened a long time ago and when it's about a person who has clearly shown 
in their actions that they are past that and they uh, they obviously are like yes i made a mistake when i was younger but like i'm obviously not going around saying this anymore you know yeah. we just we got to be a little more forgiving all that aspect or else people aren't going to learn to grow off of these things they're going to just be afraid that anything they've ever done is going to come out Ooh. yeah Gavin, what are your thoughts i mean i think that with a lot of with like with a lot of cancel culture like with what we're talking about right now um i think that a lot of the the context of and i and i, I even hate to say this because it's no because it, it's no like it's no excuse. Like, obviously it's still like a moral situation, but mm -hmm. the, the, like the time that it happened, like when you look at, when you look at TV in 2004, a lot of stuff was flying that would not fly today mm -hmm. at all. I've noticed and, that on late night TV a lot, yeah. like late night talk show hosts, like the way they talk to women was so different. Yeah. Like they would just, just openly be disgusting to them. It's interesting. Yeah, like it's it's really not morally okay to do what we were doing, and like we have a we have a much more like socially aware like public consciousness now, which I'm thankful mm -hmm. for. Like you know, thank God. But mm -hmm. I think that we lose we like forget about that when we talk about this now. You know. Mm -hmm. But right. I guess I also know that like that is even that is a problematic take because like what we're thinking about now isn't even like what's acceptable now is like Trump. So yeah, you know. <sighs> these are all of our opinions, viewers, and not the publication. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, to sort of go back to who both of you are on your relationships with social media. Um, Rachel, you touched on how you are a savvy Twitter gal. Gavin, um, what are your platforms? What do you use? Um, I am, I'm a Twitter policy wonk. Um, mm. <laughs> I use Twitter a lot. And then I also, I use Snapchat to communicate with people, not really to do mm. any like story things. And then I also do photography. So I have a photo Instagram that has, I don't know, devolved into <laughs> like not even me posting photos. It's just whatever now. <laughs> right. Um, so. Are you a Snapchat preferred messaging type of person? Like, is that your. Yes. yes. So I yes? see. That I is see a hot take. Okay. Okay. So I, I was also for the longest time, I was like, I'm not even going to use my Instagram story because they stole that from Snapchat and I'm going to only use mm. like that form of communication on Snapchat because they were like the original creators. Wow. I mean, Appearance. Staying, staying loyal. Staying loyal. <laughs> like I have had my Snapchat grade, which is disgusting to think about. Um, Since when? Seventh grade. Oh, me too. Me too. I'm just a thankful TikTok didn't exist when we were in middle school. Oh my goodness. Oh man, the stuff we would have made. I'm so glad. I, I just wanted to say that I'm so sorry to anyone that followed me on Twitter um, when I had it in 2013 and to everyone that was friends with me on Facebook from 2011 because 
funny enough, I actually went through every single post and every single tweet and deleted like a thousand of them because um, a lot of them were like, wow, no good morning text. No, thanks. I tweeted that. <laughs> Why did I tweet that? That's embarrassing. I just want to apologize to my young Nicole had high standards. I did have high standards. I also was like, oh, the bus is late again. Wow. And then like roll of the eyes, like in asterisks. Um, that's just embarrassing. I just want to apologize to all my followers. Please don't unfollow me. Um, so Gavin, you touched on this in your hot take of why millennials and everyone arguably should leave Facebook as a platform. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I guess. Um, so Facebook has had like some major issues in its life. I mean, like not only since its inception of like, let's, let's find hot girls on college campuses, but like, even now I'm going to take you from what was the beginning of May, 2017. And all of this reporting is done by the most best person at news organization called the verge. His name is Casey Newton and he does great investigative technology journalism. Super good. Okay. So Facebook is a huge organization with a lot of people on it and they need to be doing content moderation. Okay. Okay. So like a lot of this content is actually like really violent. It's murders. It's animal abuse. It's like awful. Let me, let me, there was like a list. I mean, didn't they literally have a problem with people streaming their suicides? Yeah. Like, yeah, like Orlando Castile's murder was live streamed on Facebook, you know. Anyways, so people are like, what the fuck are you going to do about it? Um, so Mark Zuckerberg is like, okay, we're going to start this. We're going to build an AI that can take this stuff out. And we're going to start taking this stuff out. Um, but between, <laughs> between them starting to moderate and then building the AI, which I don't know if that's fully been done yet, um, in between is, has been using human people that are paid really minimal and bad working conditions um, with really long hours and no mental health to moderate what is incredibly violent content. Oh no. Yeah, so, um, and it's all contracted out as well. Like that is the thing where like, it's not Facebook that is doing the content moderation, it's this company called Cognizant. Mm. So, and they are like workers. Okay, so like I what I wrote down is okay. So they are contract workers. They make like around thirty thousand dollars a year, which is not much, and like also no benefits. Um, and every day, like it is their job, eight hours a day, to sit in front of a computer and look at graphic content and categorize it, and then choose. Okay, don't put this on the site or well, this is, this is, this is violent or like this incites violence, but because of our standards, it doesn't like one thing that I, that was in the article that I read was, um, one, it was like one, one of the comments that they came across was like inciting hate towards autistic people, but because that is not like a named hate group in Facebook's content, like policy, they weren't, they of it you know so it, it stays up 
Not even humans. We're not even helping humans. I have seen videos of a babysitter choking a toddler to death and the, giving bloody noses to babies. And it stays and nobody does anything. And it just, it's just there. It's always there. And you have to always look at it. You always see death every single day. You see pain and suffering. And it just makes you angry because they're not doing anything. And when you've got two, over 2 billion users, you, who knows what kind of stuff is coming through there? Yeah. And like also like it's, it's Facebook, it's, it's content just spreading. So like they will get multiples of the same videos and have to flag it and remove it multiple times. Um, but they are like, it is like super micromanaged as well. They get two 15 minute breaks. They get a 30 minute lunch, nine minutes of wellness time to just take a break at the end of the day, center yourself after seeing what has been like the most appalling graphic that you've ever seen for the past eight hours. And that's supposed to be like enough for you. Walk us through like your average day doing this job. You sat at your desk, you put on your headphones and you worked all day. No one came to comfort you if you were upset. No one came to talk to you throughout the day. If you turned around to talk to a friend, you were being screamed at for not looking at your content and doing your work. They say all the time, okay, we have these counselors here to help you but we've got nine minutes of wellness every day. So I'm supposed to go talk to this counselor about the 500 videos I've looked at today in nine minutes, and I'm supposed to be okay? It doesn't make any sense. I had night terrors like almost every night. I was only getting like an hour or two of sleep because I was just so, I was just always thinking about the content, the videos, the pictures, the people and the animals that were basically you know, their whole deaths were broadcast. Like, the most cruel things imaginable. Just, it's there, and it's allowed to be there. It's like the extreme version of when um, universities are like, we understand that you all want to die, so we brought <laughs> dogs to the library. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, no. Um, oh, my God. Not to come for the university or anything, but you can do a little yeah. more. Yeah, you can do a little more. Um, that's uh, insane. So, I yeah. can't even imagine their mental health, like where it goes. Eight hours of graphic content yeah. straight. Like, yeah. Just seeing like human beings commit the worst atrocities you can imagine 40 hours a week. Um, one of the stories was about the, a guy that had worked there and had to had to leave. Um, and now he has post-traumatic stress disorder after seeing a video of like, like I think it was a guy getting stabbed. Oh my God. Um, and now every morning he wakes up, he, he now, he now keeps a gun by his bed, wakes up and, and scans his house for intruders because that is the, that is the trauma that has happened you know i just because you can't i don't think that you know, yeah people people should like have that job you know like that's not i don't know how can you i don't know it's like if you reach the dark part of the re the web i don't know i've never i don't think i've reached that it, the unfortunate part about it is until we get technology that is 
like sophisticated enough to identify these things consistently you have to have somebody to do it but the flip side of that is not excusing any of this you need to actually pay them and make sure they are mentally healthy while doing this contracting out for 30 grand a year when that you're going to ruin their mental health potentially is absolutely ridiculous so that's like that's one thing about Facebook. <laughs> oh, we're like is, still going. That's not yeah, the worst. I, I'm on number two. This is my second reason, two of two, and then we're out of here. Um, so my second is that they also will not um, like they they won't they won't give up their business model of advertising and engagement for like the betterment of humanity. Um, and like for like the 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 value of truth in a democracy i'll say it like that um so like after all of this happened um and became public in april of 2019 so like all this gets published in february of 2019 in april of 2019 mark zuckerberg goes and testifies to the u.s house financial services committee and they're like what was that about <laughs> and he's like we people we have it contracted out and meh. but another thing that got brought up was the political ads is like is fact checking and arbitrating truth on a social media platform and that gets into like section 230 which is a whole thing i don't even know if you want to go there that's going to be a law <laughs> yeah um anyways um so like a couple progressive people asked him like okay so if you're not going to fact check anything then i can say anything and he was kind of like mm, i guess so <laughs> Could I run ads targeting Republicans in primaries saying that they voted for the Green New Deal? Sorry, I, I, can you repeat that? Would I be able to run advertisements on Facebook targeting Republicans in primaries saying that they voted for the Green New Deal? I mean, if you're not fact-checking political advertisements, I'm just trying to understand the, the bounds here. What's fair game? I, uh, I don't know the answer to that off the top of my head. I think So probably. you don't know if I'll be able to do that? I think probably. Um, so, like, now it's really one of those things where you can just, if, if you want to pay, like, in a politician, like, framework, you can just pay to, like, post misinformation and disinformation, and they won't take it down because it makes them money. And, yeah, so, basically, whoever it is can just go to whatever the fuck they want to. Anyways, so like there is an issue with not not allowing them fact check advertising, which I feel like is the baseline minimum of advertising is to not advertise falsities to your public. Um, personally, coming out of an ad, like I am an ad manager. Um, but the second one just being this this revenue, like this model of advertising is revenue and engagement as revenue when like. You know, like I, like I was talking about earlier, where like engagement or clicks drive engagement, engagement drives the ad revenue. And that is the bottom line is engagement and revenue. So whatever you're going to do to keep that going, that's what you're going to do. And I think that's why we're also starting to see a lot of issues come up with with our lovely president, JK, JK, not <laughs> lovely, um, where he is he is doing things on Facebook and Twitter that are clearly drawing the line of the terms of services of these policy or of these um, platforms. 
We're like, yeah, like inciting violence is something that Facebook and Twitter are pretty clear about. That's that's even something that Mark Zuckerberg was clear about on in that testimony to the Financial Services Committee. It was like, if if you're if you're inciting violence and you're a politician, that is something that we will remove. And here he is doing that, and he won't remove it. So, like, to even to the point of our democracy is starting to like come apart at the seams. Um, he's willing to keep up that content because it's engagement. I mean, I, I do kind of get keeping up, like, hear me out. <laughs> I do well, I kind of get why they would keep up Donald Trump's tweets, though, when he yeah. incites violence, because it's like, I don't know, we can't erase mm-hmm. the fact that our president literally is like, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Yeah. Like, I feel like it would be like an injustice to delete that tweet. Like, let him out himself as, like, the worst person alive. Like, let him do it. <laughs> it totally gets into that question of, oh, if we're going to start removing things, like, yes, borderline of hate speech and borderline of violence, but also is, like, pretty accepted by, like, right-leaning people in this country then you start to board the line of, well, are you a platform or are you a publisher? And that's his whole thing about Section 230 right now and rewriting Section 230 is that that is what protects um, digital social media platforms from being being held liable for things that are put on that platform. Gavin, quick, th- like, quick short thought. Yes. What is your opinion on Trump essentially going to war with social media companies? Um, I think that, okay, so here's, this is an interesting thing. Um, I, I think that we have the legal precedent to like not allow him to do that, but also we have a president that has consistently been able to push and object the legal precedent. So (laughs) like, yeah. You know, we just had a situation where last week he was breaking like international war crime laws in a domestic territory, you know, like, so who knows? (laughs) Yeah. What do you both think is the future of social media and like really what's to come um, after, you know, everything that's been happening these last two weeks? Like, what do both of you predict? will come out of it. So I was thinking about this today on my walk. Um, so like, we, and like going all the way back to the end of the conversation or in the convergence. Um, so like how like when you react to something, you'll want to send like a gift or like a vine or like, you're like, I just had this experience. And it was like this vine, you know, mm-hmm. and how honestly, like, putting your feeling and your reaction into that piece of media is honestly a more impactful thing to communicate your message than you saying something, than you using your words to communicate that message. Really? Mm. Expand on that. Okay. So like, I really feel like, okay, so people are going to get chips put in their head. Not like not soon, but you know, like 10 years (laughs) down the line, you know, like people are working on that. Um, that honestly, I don't think that we will be talking as much as we will be creating what is essentially like a big, like leisure, really 
I think that like in the far future, it's going to be much more of a symbolic ritualistic method of communication rather than like a person to person communication. And we will be like mm-hmm. adding to this ledger because self-referential it's meta. It's that thing of, I am referencing this, this previous history here because everyone gets it. I don't need mm-hmm. I explain my point because everyone's seen it mm. and whatever I add is comp- completely contexted with the rest of it. If that makes mm. sense. So I really feel like we're going to move, past the i have this feeling and really get to the thing like there is a symbol for everything that you felt and everything that you're going to feel and is that is that like bad of us or is that good for us because like yes you are literally taking the words out of mouth but we're like entering a bigger more community understanding of what language is you know like right if like I know what that means to everyone, then I'll use that instead of trying to like formulate my own words, which might mean some different things to different people. So basically English, the English languages or all languages actually um, are going to be replaced with memes. I hate to, I, and I hate that you've, you like, I don't know, I hate that, that I got minimized, but like essentially. No, that's what we're accelerating toward, I feel okay. like. Like you stay yeah. off Twitter for a week, people are tweeting images at each other and you're like, I don't know what you're trying to convey. <laughs> like Elon Musk's, and I hate that I'm like plugging Elon Musk because he's a problematic. Oh no. But he has basically said the same thing of like, we'll just get past the need to literally talk to people and it's going to be this. You know, like once we can just have that back and forth communication, what's the we'll point? be hyper connected to literally yeah. everyone. Mm, sounds horrible. It is. <laughs> yeah, well, there's... Can I just be left alone? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want people knowing my thoughts. Yeah, there right. it there's so many layers to all of that. It's just like it's hard to think about where we will go from here. I mean, think think about like 50 years ago. Do you think people would think we're all talking to each other via small, like, like touchscreen devices? And no, you couldn't even imagine it. Who knows what we're going to be doing in 50 years from now? I love it. Um, wait, Rachel, did you say what you thought the future was going to be like? I don't. I don't know because I'm just I mean I didn't because like I feel like I'm just very pessimistic about it because like there's I don't know I feel like it could go one of two ways which is like people are so fed up with like influencer culture and just like just having like a 30 second long news cycle and like you know you like aren't on your phone for a day and you come back and you have no idea what's going on like I feel like people are so sick of that that maybe like we'll take a step back or maybe we'll take a step in the direction Gavin described. Who knows? <laughs> Do you think that our short attention span online will rebound in the future? And become oh, no. <laughs> We're too far gone for that. Okay. Like, um, yeah, I'm never going to be able to like sit in a room like my grandparents do and just do nothing. Not a bizarre. It's everything's at our fingertips. How could you? Right. Wyatt, do you have any last thoughts? No, I mean, I, I it's kind of just like going off of Gavin's thing. I who knows what the future holds? Uh, it'll likely be I I am with 
you guys on on the whole i the, we will have chips in our head i know there's a lot of people that think that's weird and there might be ethical issues with it but i think eventually we will have technology connected to the rest of humanity inside of our bodies it's inevitable so it's just a matter of how we do that yeah i think that people don't realize how connected they are to the simulation already like yeah once has has a day gone by you haven't used your phone since you've got your phone nope so essentially what's the difference you know we can end on this final final question i promise it's the last one but um i know that um as journalists we're taught to be objective and um when this comes to anything but of course once george floyd was killed and everything you know sparked um was there any like hesitation for either of you to speak up and use your platforms even though you are like part of a news publication because there is a little bit of controversy with this um one side of it says that as journalists it is our duty to be objective and in any and all things and then the other side of it is frankly these are human rights and that's nothing to be objective about but i do not want to put my words into yours um what are your thoughts um i mean i'm in american studies honestly i just got lucky and ended up writing about music for you guys sometimes so I don't know. I think objectivity at this point is just compliance with like the cops and the government and everyone else holding this in place. I don't know. <laughs> it's a valid viewpoint. I had I had zero hesitation in like starting to be active, I guess, on my social media about the situation just because like I don't like kind of like you said, it is like I feel like I am on the right side of history right now like you know what I mean? Like, it's not an issue, I don't think. And if you're if you're a company that's like gonna go back three years, Instagram and like like well, so you were like politically engaged and is like we're not for chill with that. Well, I'm gonna be like, well, if you're gonna question me about the fact that I supported the Black Lives Matter movement during like the biggest moment of it, I don't know if I want to work here. <laughs> Yeah, what imagine I mean? the coworkers you're gonna have if all your coworkers are the people that like yeah. have clean social medias of all this, you know? Yeah. For me, I believe there is a difference in you know objectivity and what you know, like what what needs to be objective and what needs to be subjective when it comes to things like Black Lives Matter. I know there is obviously political charge to it, but this is something that shouldn't be politically charged in the first place. Black Lives Matter. That's it. It's obviously different if you're reporting on something that's like, oh, I prefer Trump or I prefer Joe Biden. That is different from simply saying that a large part of the population deserves to not be attacked and killed. Yeah, I mean – I mean, it gets into the whole, like, philosophical mess of, like, can morality ever be objective? Like, is there objective morality? But it's like, mm. 
there's just not a world where like it should be controversial to say that cops should stop killing people yeah yeah right um for me i honestly had to like have phone calls with um like other journalists that i know and i know that like um because me a journalist of color of course like i'm going to be a damn ally period like um but I also hear like a couple of my journalism professors in my ear being like, you got to be objective. You got to be objective. And I'm like, what? These are people. These are literally <laughs> human beings being killed for the color of their skin. Um, and I had to chat with a couple of my friends because I'm like, what the hell do we post? And um, like, are we allowed to? I don't know. Frick. But I'm going to like at least retweet these like fact-based articles mm. about everything that's happening so that people know that I'm not dead. But, um, and so like a lot of what I did on my social media was just like specifically for Asian Americans, if you want to talk about anti-blackness within our community, this is how you can talk to your mom. This is how you can talk to your grandma, to your dad. Um, and just like, honing in on like my niche groups in my life um but then once more and more journalists started openly speaking up and once journalists were getting arrested for literally <laughs> being reporters and <laughs> doing their job um i was like okay like get i'm gonna speak up and uh you know it's it's hard it was hard at the beginning, honestly, like I'll admit it, but, uh, yeah, it, you know, at this point, like with all of us, you know, uniting together and working together, it's like, you're right, Gavin, like, I don't want to work for a company that's going to be like, oh, you aren't racist, huh? You're fired. And it feels absurd for like, like all those people you asked Nicole about like posting about it to be like, you have to remain objective. You have to remain objective. Like I get where they're coming from, but at the same time, like is murder not objectively bad? <laughs> yeah. And it, it goes back to the whole morality thing of different viewpoints. All It's just so complicated. And I can't, I mean, for us in particular, um, you know, I am, half opinion side rachel is a music writer and gavin is business side but like for you nicole like as as an editor within a publication especially for those not here that are on like news side and all of that i can't imagine how difficult oh, it yeah. must be dealing with what you can and cannot it, say it was honestly um it was hard <laughs> because you you know you want to actively be anti-racist and uh but you also have your job to do but also where does where does the apple fall and it's ah it was a lot of internal back and forth turmoil for me because i have done news reporting and but i have always been very vocal about um increasing represented uh, increasing coverage of underrepresented um, communities within our publication. That's always been something that I've always said um, ever since I've started working here. Um, but it made me and our other like news e people um, comfortable 
slash we felt like it was like a safe space for discussion when both Nicole and Brayden were both like, you know, we're here for you and honestly speak up. So, you know, <laughs> at least we have the publication on our side as, you know, since 1904. Hey, hey, rock chalk. So that's yeah. comforting to like, um, know that, you know, newsy people, our colleagues are going through it to where we're wanting to stand for what's right. So, yeah. Yeah. I definitely have more sympathy for people that could like lose their jobs, you know, like that's kind of a different situation when the stakes are that high for sure. Right. And circling all the way back, if it ever becomes a big enough issue, just make a private social media, get your thoughts out there. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Well, I just want to thank both Rachel and Gavin for joining us today. Um, Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, and also to my wonderful co-pilot, Wyatt, for <laughs> keeping me humble. Um, Always. On our second episode of Reading Between the Lines, be sure to check back next week to see what we're up to and stay safe. Rock chalk. Rock chalk.